Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We have now reached 30,000 feet. You may now use all your electronic devices, including your laptop. We're going to get into this series. We've called it Altitude Adjustment uh, with the tagline that uh, attitude uh, affects your altitude. And I didn't realize that attitude was actually a uh, flying term, and I'm going to talk about that in just a second. But the idea of this series is really that in the midst of everything that we're going through in this world right now, it can kind of uh, cloud our perspective. We can kind of lose sight of what we're really supposed to be about. And when that happens, we have to rise above it. We ha- there, there's a passage of scripture in Psalm 61.3 in the Passion Translation. It says, Lord, you are a paradise of protection to me. You lift me high above the fray. When I read that scripture, what I'm, I'm thinking about is this is the fray that we find ourselves in. And we need to elevate out of that. And there's something as Christ followers, not that we are removing ourselves from the world, but there is something to where we are better than what kind of gets bogged down in the midst of of the, the craziness of this world, the sin of this world. And so attitude is defined this way. It's defined as a settled way of thinking about something or someone typically reflected in a person's behavior. The second definition is, it is the position of the body proper to or implying an action or mental state. In other words, it's your body language. You can have attitude in your body language. Uh, If you come to first service and um, you didn't get your coffee that morning and you're like this and you're asleep, it, it says something about your attitude towards things. You guys would never do that. That's first service and, you know. Those guys fall asleep. No, there's something in our body language that, is, that reflects our attitude with our children. I don't know if you guys do this, but with our children, there's a, a level of uh, looks that we can give our kids. Um, there's, a, a, you know, our, our body language will also, all, almost always reflect what we are thinking. And so I, th- I think that when it comes to our attitude, we have to think about what are we saying with our body language? Third definition is this. This is the, the aeronautical uh, definition. The orientation of an aircraft relative to the direction of flight. So there's a nose up attitude, there's a level attitude, and there's a nose down attitude. Attitude is maybe one of the most important things in our life. Attitudes run in groups. You can have attitudes in families. Certain families have different types of attitudes. They kind of have this culture, if you will, among their family. Attitudes run in organizations, in businesses. If I drive through Chick-fil-A, I know that I can expect a certain kind of attitude, something along the lines of, it's my pleasure. You know, it's my pleasure to help you. It's a service attitude. And, And then you go to other places, and maybe they have bad attitudes, 
And it's not quite the level of service that you hope to get. In fact, in the graphic, right, what we find here is uh, a plane that ironically is uh, a plane from the airline Ryanair. And, uh, and if you're new to our church, that's my name. Um, but in this case, the attitude that exists from that company and that organization is not a good attitude. It's not one that's positive and helpful and serving. It's one that's going to charge you to use their restroom. No lie. Seriously. If you've never flown it, avoid it at all costs. Um, But it makes for a great graphic. The question for us today as we take a look at our theme verse of Romans chapter 12, uh, verse 2. Uh, If I can find it here. Where is my scripture? Here it goes. The transformation by the renewing of our mind. Do not be conformed to this world. Do Do not get stuck in the fray of this world. But be transformed not by some sort of of church attendance or good works, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Transformation by the renewing of our minds. The transformation that God is going to do is he's going to begin to adjust and change our perspective and our attitudes. It's essential that we don't conform to the attitude of this world. It's essential that we don't conform to the attitudes of other people but, or, or ways of thinking, but that we conform to the biblical attitudes that we are given. So the question for us is, do we think that we have a godly attitude or do we have a worldly attitude? Have we conformed to the world or have we risen above the fray? In a plane, you have what's called an attitude indicator. It looks like this. I think we have a picture of it right there. Uh, The gauge in the middle is your attitude indicator. And what you have is you have a flat line right there, which is the artificial horizon. And when that moves up, there's a little point right in the middle of that. When that moves off of the horizon, when it goes upwards, you know that your plane is ascending. But when it goes down you know that you're about to crash or land, and hopefully it's land. And so to use this as as an analogy of what we're talking about today, my hope is that as we go into this series and we get into one of the greatest sermons ever told, the Sermon on the Mount, what we're going to find is we're going to find an attitude indicator in there. The the truth is, is this is the greatest attitude indicator that we can have. This will give us everything that we need to know whether or not we have just become cruising along through life or if we're actually ascending. Are we going going up? Are we getting out of the fray? Or it will help us understand whether or not we are on our way down. We just got done with the series on the Beatitudes, and this is how Jesus really begins the Sermon on the Mount. He gives these attitudes that we are to live the Christian life by, Uh, but then he shifts a little bit and he goes into some some ways of thinking and how we are to be in this world. And I want to start by looking at Matthew chapter 5 verse 13. He begins this particular part of the 
sermon with this clear picture of what we as Christ followers, how we are to live in this life. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, he says, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Jesus uses just such a a familiar illustration here. These guys, these disciples, as they're listening to this illustration on salt, they're very familiar with it. They understand salt. They, They use salt in their everyday life. In fact, in some cases, Roman soldiers would be paid in salt. There was value that came from this table condiment that we have every day. And it's interesting that he would use this, and I think most of us probably, when we hear that uh, we are the salt of the earth, that, that our initial response is, well, that must mean that we are to, to just flavor the world. But in reality, what we find is when in antiquity, these people would be using salt, not necessarily, well, they might use it for seasoning, and we're going to talk about that in a second, but but really, the value came from the preservation. They would use salt because there was no refrigeration process. They would use salt to preserve their meat, to keep it from decaying. Now, think of it in that perspective, that we, you, me, you, we are the salt of the earth. It is our role, it is our responsibility to keep the world from decaying. It's why we care It's why we vote. It's why we get involved in our communities and help people out. It is our responsibility to be a people who keep our world from decaying. And it is decaying, right? I mean, I don't have to really uh, remind you of that. The reason it is is because we live in a fallen world. Ever since Genesis, we are in a decaying process. It feels like it's moving a little bit faster these days. Uh, But It is our responsibility and our job to preserve the message of Jesus in the midst of a decaying world. Now, my first point is that, is salty Christians, yes, I call this salty Christians, keep the world from decay. That's that's our role and our responsibility, and I would argue that, that we might not be doing a great job at that. My wife and I watch a show called... uh, Master Chef. Anybody seen this show? It's like a, it's Gordon Ramsay's show, and it's a competition where all these home chefs come. Anyone? Okay, like four of us. Awesome. Uh, I know you guys don't watch TV because you're studying your Bible, but um, we watch the show Master Chef. It's pretty interesting, and they have to bleep Gordon Ramsay out a lot. Um, but oftentimes, what will happen is when they go to taste the 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 meal. If there's something wrong with it, it has to do with the seasoning of it. Uh, I looked up, you know, is there a proper way to season things? Apparently there is. I'm not a cook in, in our home. I know how to cook macaroni and cheese out of a box. And I can pour a pretty mean bowl of cereal. Um, the term seasoning, and I want you to think about this because, yes, we are to preserve the world that we're in, but we are also to season it. And I want you to think about this as people who, who season the world that we live in. The term seasoning can sometimes refer to the entire flavor profile, which spans then from sweet, salty, sour, and bitter. It's the salt that will affect the flavor of the dish the most. That's us. 
When master, uh, and when a master chef hopeful gets blasted for a lack of seasoning, it's always the amount of salt that's to blame. Salt is food's biggest cheerleader. We are, we are the big cheerleaders of this world. Lifting and elevating the flavor of food all without trying to change it like the perfect partner. But how does it do that? First, consider the flavor as a combination of two things. It's both taste and aroma. I know you, don't, you didn't come here for a food lesson, but I am getting kind of hungry reading it. Salt naturally suppresses bitter flavors. I wonder if we ever have the opportunity to naturally suppress bitter flavors in this culture. And at the same time, it enhances aromas. So it has the ability to lower unpleasant taste and amplify the natural greatness of the food being seasoned. That's a double whammy that can be scientifically summed up by saying it just makes everything taste better. And I wonder in this life, in our world, are we as Christ followers making everything taste better? Are we being a people who don't go out trying to just change everything about the world or change every person, but will actually enhance the things that God's done in people's lives? He has created all of us. We are all a part of his creation, and he has created us to do good works. Our job isn't to change people. My job in my marriage isn't to change my wife. I do premarital counseling and uh, and I always tell the couple, if you think that marriage is going to, you're going to be able to change this person because you're getting married, you should get a refund on your cake because that's not going to happen. It's the Holy Spirit's job to change us, to work in us. But it is our job as Christ followers to enhance one another. As we continue to, to pull out from each other the giftings that God has for this life, to be a people who don't come against it, but actually begin to enhance it. And, and that would be number two, that salty Christians should enhance the world. We're not in the business of changing people. But you do know what happens, right, when, uh, when your kid decides he's going to play a joke on you on April Fool's Day and he unscrews, uh-oh, uh, he unscrews the top, top and... Uh, and just leaves it like that, and you take your, your salt, and you dump it out, and the whole thing dumps out, what's it do? It ruins the food. Sometimes I think we think it's our responsibility to just dump salt on people. Maybe it's just our job to just, you know, just a little sprinkle. You stop being salty when you isolate from the world. There's a reason this has holes in it. This is called a what? A salt what? Shaker, uh, not a salt container. But over the years, it feels as though maybe the church in America has become the salt container and not the salt shaker. There's something about this, this picture of of us as Christ followers being people who, who don't just hunker down and avoid all of the things that are going on in our world, but actually we get shaken out into the world to be seasoning in it, to preserve it, to be a people who actually, instead of, of just staying in our container, we come and we get equipped and we get empowered so that we can be shaken into this world. 
Jesus turns the conversation in his message to his disciples, he, he takes them then to another analogy. He says, you're the salt of the, the world, right? That's you go, be the salt of the world. But then he says, you're also the light of the world. And he turns his analogy to light. I don't think I have to tell you that we live in a world that is full of darkness. For many, they've become accustomed to the darkness. They've adjusted their eyes so that they can see perfectly in the darkness. It used to be, I mean, if you look at, at just movies in general, uh, back when I was a kid, there was a, a level of innocence that took place on the, in the midst of movies. And as we've got, grown older, as I've grown older and as time has passed, the things that used to make us blush, we don't even blush for anymore. The things that used to make us kind of gasp, and like, I can't believe they said that, is just common language in the midst of our culture. We've, we've become accustomed to the darkness. We've, we've actually adjusted our, lives to it, our, our eyes to it so that we can see perfectly fine. But Jesus says to the disciples, he says, you're the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, he says, let your light shine before others. Some translations say, so let your light shine. I'm going to talk about that at the end. So let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let's break that down just a little bit. You are the light of the world. You, me, as much as we are salt, we are to be light. And Jesus says he's the light of the world in Scripture. We see that in John chapter 8, verse 12, where he's speaking again to his, the people. And he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is the light of the world, but really the title for Jesus and Christians is light, the light of the world. The word light there is in the Greek is uh, phos, which is where we get the word photo. It's, the, it's the where we get the word photograph. How many of you ever used uh, Polaroid cameras? Polaroids are actually coming back in style. Um, my daughter was the first to really understand this, or not understand it, but she, she heard about it. She's like, have you guys ever heard of a camera that spits out a picture that develops of what you just took? I'm like, have you ever heard of an iPhone where I don't have to carry around a bunch of film? No, back in the day, back in the day we had, we had Polaroid cameras, and we have them now, but they're small and they're not the same. But, but you take a picture, for you young people, you take a picture, and, it, and it's like, and it pops out. And you grab it, you kind of pull it out of there, and then what do you do? You shake it. There's a reason why there's a song about shaking it like a Polaroid picture. That, that will relate, so you shake it like a Polaroid picture, and you shake it, and you shake it. And you shake it. I don't know why we do it. I guess the air, airflow, dries it out, whatever. And you look at it, and it's blurry. And you're like, all right, shake it some more, shake it some more, until it becomes clear. I wonder if, if maybe there are many of us who are, our photograph of Jesus is a little bit fuzzy. 
a little bit blurry. That the picture that we are portraying to the world that we live in isn't really clear. See, light reveals truth. It exposes darkness. And you could say it this way. Well, if Jesus is the light of the world, but then he says to us, you are the light of the world, you could say it like this, just as an illustration. If, if you've got the sun, the S-U-N, that's Jesus, the sun, the sun produces light. The moon, however, does not. The moon, what? Reflects the light. It reflects the sun. And so if Jesus is the light of the world, we're the, we're the moon. We are the one that reflects the light of Jesus to this world. There is a time, however, when the moon does not reflect the sun. What's that called? It's called an eclipse. And in an eclipse, what happens is the world comes between the sun and the moon. I wonder if maybe we've allowed the world to kind of come between the sun and us where all of a sudden we're not so much reflecting Christ to the world. Instead, we have found ourselves living in a bit of darkness. You say, well, what does an eclipse look like? What does that even look like in our life? Well, if you look at the parable of the sower in Mark chapter 4, I think it's down in like verse 19, Jesus is talking to his disciples again, and he's telling the crowds, uh, about this sower who's casting out seeds. He's, he's planting seeds. And he says, when the seeds fall among the thorns, he says this, then the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things come in and they choke the word. So the cares of this world. So the way in which we can maybe have an eclipse in our life is when the cares of this world become a problem. It could also be said that the worries of this world. Sometimes it feels like we as Christians, we worry just as much as the world does. We, we worry about our kids. We worry about our jobs and our house and our money and our life. And, and it just seems like we are as anxious or worrying as much as the world is. And the world is looking for somebody in the midst of their worry to shine light for hope but we're not reflecting it because we've allowed the cares of this world to come between us. It's almost as if we, we don't believe that Jesus is on the throne. There's a saying that says it's like practical atheism, that we say that we believe in God, we say that we put our trust in him, but then when we live our life, we live it out as though he does not exist. That for us, if we're not careful, we will find ourselves in such a place of anxiousness and worry that we look nothing like the reflection of Jesus to the world. The second point that he makes is the deceitfulness of riches. If, if we're not careful, we can follow jobs and circumstances. We always tend to think that the grass is greener on the other side. And so we'll chase after just you know a 20 cent an hour pay increase. But sometimes we're trading misery for that. The best explanation of this I could have is uh, many, many years ago when, when we were first here, we had um, someone come to Kelly and I, and they were looking at the potential of taking a different job in a different state. 
And they asked our opinion as their pastors. They said, well, you know, we're looking for your wisdom in this. And this doesn't always happen, but sometimes it does, where there is discernment. And in their asking of our wisdom, we really felt like we heard from the Lord that they weren't supposed to go, that that the trade-off wasn't enough because they had community here. They had relationship here. There, there was family and all of that, that there were so many things about that decision that didn't make a lot of sense, and there was just this check in our heart about it, and, and so we shared it with them, and they did what most people do, and they didn't listen. And again, I'm not trying to control anybody's life. I don't want to control people's life. I don't want to tell them where to work, but they did ask, and we did pray, and we did share. And I would like to say that that circumstance turned out well. But it didn't. And that couple is no longer together, and their kids are a mess, and they're not in any sort of ministry anymore. And it makes me sad, but sometimes if we're not reflecting the sun Sometimes we let this deceitfulness take place where we buy into the idea that there are other riches out there. And we neglect the riches of our relationships and our community and our church. That there's something about that that is so, what's the word I'm looking for? So fruitful and so helpful in your life that a 20 cent raise isn't going to be a trade-off for it. The word, he goes on in saying, you are the light of the world. He says, you're a town that's built on a hill and it cannot be hidden. The, the word hidden in the Greek is krypta. It means hidden. Uh, so no big revelation there. It means secret. It means hidden. It, that, that, that word means that when there is a city on a hill, you can see it. You can see it in the daytime because obviously you've got buildings, you've got outlines of the city, but you can also see it at night. I have to believe, and I, I don't have any way to prove this, but I do believe that Jesus, as he's sharing with his disciples on the, on the Mount of Olives, he's, uh, he's looking at some city on a hill and pointing to it and saying to them, look, you can see the city on the hill, it can't be hidden. At night, even, when we go to sleep, we can see the city because people have little candles in their rooms, in their homes, and you can see the light because it shines through the windows. In Israel, the, there's a city called Saft. It's one of the oldest cities in Israel. It's also the highest in elevation. Uh, it's just under 3,000 feet in elevation, and I don't know if Jesus could see it. I, I kind of have this picture that he was pointing out to Saft, the name of the city, and said, look, a city on the hill cannot be hidden. It's pretty far north, so I don't know if he would be able to see it from there, but if he could, I'm guessing he probably pointed that one out. He said, even that far away, you can see it, which means to us, that means there are no undercover Christians. I know we all have this, this dream of being a secret spy. But when it comes to our Christianity, there are no undercover Christians. There's no spies for Jesus. There's no secret agents. 
Right? If, if, if I were to go to your work and I were to say to one of your coworkers, hey, see that guy over there, that guy's a Christian. And if their response is to say, that guy? Uh, it's like, well, I'm an undercover Christian. You know, I'm, just, I'm a secret agent doing the work of Jesus from anonymously. He says, a city on the hill cannot be hidden. And then he says, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Some translations there uh, use the word nor. And nor, for all of you grammar people, is a conjunction and an adverb that's used to introduce a further negative statement. So the first negative truth is that a city on the hill cannot be hidden. So you can't hide your Christianity. The second negative truth is that you also don't want to cover it up. You don't want to take a light. You don't want to take a candle and, and put a bowl over the top of it. It defeats the entire purpose of lighting the candle. In fact, it will actually snuff it out. Jesus is saying, what's the point of having light if you're going to just cover it up? Why even have a flicker? Like, don't even bother flickering because you're just covering up the light. Being a light is a commitment to evangelism, and that's the word, right? That's, see, Brian, that's the problem. I'm not an evangelist. Yeah, I get it. I understand it. The word evangelism is a little bit of a freaking, uh, freaky out word. I just said freaking word. I didn't mean that. I just meant like, it freaks us out. That's what I meant. Oh, man. There's a lot of reasons that we cover up our light, though. Probably one of the greatest reasons that we have is the fear of offending. It's also called political correctness. Today, Satan has crafted things in such a way that he has a great way of silencing Christians. Have you noticed that in our world today, everyone else has a voice? Everyone. And it's all on social media. Everyone has a voice, except for Christians. It's almost like, you know, I know, I, I know this term is loaded, but it's like everybody else has come out of the closet and we've been shoved in it. And, and I, I recognize that, that even saying that, it's like all kinds of filters and stuff. Why is that? Because everybody's got a voice except for us. You better not say anything. You, you can have church here, in your four walls, but you better not bring your light into the world. You better not bring your light into our workplace. You better not bring your light into the schools. You better not bring your light anywhere else. Just keep it in the four walls. Just keep your salt container here. And out of fear, honestly, fear of losing our job, fear of getting passed over for a promotion, fear of getting kicked out of school or whatever, we we keep our light covered. Now, just as a reminder, your employer is paying you to do a job. He's not paying you to be your company's chaplain. I'm not asking you to get up on your break room table and start preaching a message. Don't be weird. But but. Do not cover your light. You're like, well, I might lose my job if I ever talk about Jesus at my work. Well, did you know, I know this comes as a shock, but did you know that the same God who got you that job in the first place can get you another job? 
First service didn't clap at all for my message. First service was like, I don't, I don't, I don't like this. Don't be weird. Don't, don't dump your salt on people. Just, just be, just enhance people's lives. Just love people. Just be people who don't cover their light. Let it be uncovered. And let people know that you have a hope. That you have a life in Christ that is so helpful for this world. I wonder if we've allowed our fear to act as that basket. Some, some translations use basket, some use bowl. You know, we used to sing a song about this in Sunday school. You knew this was coming. Can't talk about salt and light and not talk about this little light of mine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine for those of you who don't know this song. Hide it under a, a what? Yeah, see, here's the thing is... I always thought it was hide it under a bush. And I'm like, who's hiding light candles under a bush? Seems like it would burn it on fire. But it turns out it's bushel, like container. You don't hide it under a container. No. Why? Because I'm going to let it shine. He goes on and said, instead... They take their light and they put it on a stand in the middle of the house and it gives light to everyone in the house. Of all of this, not that, that some, of, some of all of this was very convicting to me, but maybe the most convicting is this. I love this picture that the light that we are to shine first takes place in the home. Maybe some of the darkness that we're experiencing in this world is because we have not taken our light into our home. That used to be, I don't know if it's still true, but it used to be statistically that pastor's kids were uh, more likely to leave the ministry than, uh, than not. That when I would tell people I'm, in, I'm a pastor and that I'm a pastor's kid, they look at me like I've got an arm growing out of my head. They're like, that's weird. Because pastor's kids don't like the church. They don't, they don't become pastors. You know why that is? Because pastors oftentimes are busy taking the light of Jesus to everyone else and not bringing it into their home. They hear about the life groups and they hear about the messages and, and then the wife is thinking, I wish we would get some of that at home. And I'll tell you that I am certainly not perfect. I, uh, my parents are here this morning. They're not perfect. But obviously they did something right. <laughs> not just because I'm so smart and good looking and all those things, but because... I didn't run away from the church. I didn't leave the church. I love Jesus because I saw it in my home. I can only hope that my own kids experience the light of Jesus in our home. Don't neglect this. Don't, don't skip over this. Don't miss this image of us before we could ever be light to this world being light in our homes. Light shines in the darkest of places, number three. How many of you have ever experienced complete darkness? 
not partial darkness, not almost darkness, but complete darkness. Like, anybody ever been to uh, Natural Big Bridge Caverns? Anybody? I don't know if they do this here. Uh, I grew up going to a place called the Oregon Caves. And when you get into the, into the belly of the cave, typically what they do is then they shut off all the lights. And there is no light. It's complete darkness, so much so that your eyes can't even adjust to the darkness because your eyes actually need a little bit of light to adjust to the darkness. But there's no light. It's total darkness. I think for us as Christ followers, we can find ourselves very comfortable bringing our light into places that already have light. We can bring our light here, and there's lots of light here. We take our, we, we take our light into places in which we are comfortable because there's a little bit of light. But really, some of the people that need the light of Jesus the most are people who are living in total darkness. Jesus gives us then the why behind his illustrations, his analogies. He says, so that they may see your good deeds and they may glorify your Father in heaven. Why do they need to see our good deeds? You know, I thought, Ryan, you always preach that we're saved by grace through faith. We're not saved because of our good deeds, our works. I get, you've ingrained that into us, right? You guys remember me talking about this. The reason why they need to see our good deeds, the reason why we need to be light in the midst of darkness and salt to this world is because they cannot see our faith. They can't see it. Faith is internal. Faith is something on the inside. Christ dwells within us through his Holy Spirit. That, that faith is something, it's part of our belief in Christ, but it cannot be seen. So our good works can be. Our good works reflect the faith that we have in Christ. It, it reflects the belief system of our faith that we have a God that we trust and that we are taking light through our good works, through our good deeds to this world. Let me give it to you practically. I use this illustration in first service. It's not in my notes. I don't know if it's the best illustration necessarily, but we've all been to restaurants at some point in our life. And let me just ask you, let me give you a hypothetical question. This has never happened in my life. Uh, But hypothetical situation, you sit down at a table Take your mask off now. Um, You sit down at a table and you order your food. And then all of a sudden, another family comes in and they sit down at a table and then they order their food. And as you're sitting there talking and, and all of that, you notice that they get their food. But they came in after you. And so they're getting their food and they're eating their food and you still don't have food. And pretty soon they're done with their food and you still don't have your food. You have a choice. You have the opportunity to adjust your altitude and to point north instead of just staying here or worse, going down. See, our flesh, there's parts of us that just want to respond by giving that server an earful. There's parts of us that are like, you must really be horrible at your job. The fact that they could come in and they could get their food and I don't have my food yet. And then at the end of the thing, she figures it out or he figures it out and they they bring you the food and you get done and you get a bill and you have another choice. 
Like, oh, this is horrible service. I'm like, you know what? Jesus loves you, but I don't right now. <laughs> People leave tracks for tips and stuff. I don't understand it. See, we have a choice in this scenario that we are either going to be the light of the world or we're going to cover it up. Or worse, <laughs> we're just going to be in darkness. See, what happens when we go to fill out that, that thing called a check is we have a decision. Are we, going to, are we going to base this off of their performance or are we going to base it out of mercy and grace as we just talked about, not having a clue what this person's going through? Maybe they just really are a bad server. Maybe. But are we going to base it off of their performance, or are we going to be the light of the world? Now, some of you will push back. I understand that you're like, but it was bad service. But aren't we so grateful that God does not base his love for us off of our performance? Now, I know it's a stretch here because we're talking about serving and food, and the, but is it? Isn't this what Jesus is calling us to, is to be different than the world, to, to rise above the fray, to be different than what everybody else knows to be true, to say there's something different about that person. For that person to go home and say, oh my goodness, I totally messed up this table. I thought I was going to get stiffed on the, on the bill. I didn't. I don't know, there's something different about that. Maybe you have the opportunity to say, hey, I know you're super busy. I know things are going crazy in, in your life. Is there anything I can be praying for you about? You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't want to offend anybody. So we'll just put the bowl right back over the light. See, the reason we do this is because we're motivated by God's glory. That's what it says, is that God's, God will be glorified when we live our life this way. There are 7.1 billion people on this earth, maybe more now. 7.1 billion, which means that there are billions and billions of people that are living in darkness. And so Jesus reminds us to let our life shine. Let our light shine to this world. As we, were, as we were singing in first service, I was reminded of one of the most famous scriptures of all time. All I have to do is say John 3.16, and almost everyone in the room could probably recite it. Right? Well, How does it begin? It says, for God, what? So loved the world that what did he do? He gave his only son. I want you to think about this word so for a second, because the same word where it says, for God so loved the world. It's the same word that we see in this passage where it says, so let your light shine. It doesn't say, hey, you're the light of the world, let your light shine. It says, so let your light shine. It's an adverb that means to a great extent. If you think of it in the context of Jesus, for God so loved the world, he sent his only son to die on a cross. He so loved the world that he sacrificed his son for our sake. 
My question for all of us this morning is, will we be willing to not just partially let our light shine, not just lift our bowl a little bit, but will we be willing to at such great extent so let our light shine? Let's pray.